Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, joined by Aaron Keller, and today we have Bighorn Sheep Staff Specialist Mike Cox with us today. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Yes, uh, great to be with you too this morning. Yes, and we're of course still on Zoom, but Mike, it actually looks like you're you're in the you stopped by the office to make it to this podcast in time. <laughs> So we appreciate it. And then um, the reason we have Mike here is because he wrote this awesome article. Right now, everyone's thinking about COVID-19. And you actually took, you wrote an article about how COVID-19 is actually a lot like this disease that wildlife managers have been dealing with in sheep for years and years and years. And you get into social distancing and how this really isn't a new concept for wildlife manager. So do you want to get into how this article came about? Freelance writer from Colorado that wrote a real brief comparison of, you know, having his limited background in wild sheep disease and the restoration efforts and wanted to just bring to light. And that was back in, in uh, late March. And so I kind of took a little bit more scientific approach just to help us appreciate that Maybe we don't have it so bad as humans with COVID-19 because what we're going to explain in the podcast is, is somewhat sad. That's uh, a similar pandemic uh, that hit wild sheep decades ago, if not centuries ago, and we're still dealing with it. And there's a, there is a lot of similarities from uh, how, how it spread. Um, that there's carriers out there that are going to be asymptomatic. Um, testing is critical to understanding who has it, who doesn't. And then social distancing. We, we actually manage in using social distancing to keep sheep separated. Okay, and to clarify, this isn't COVID-19. It's a completely different disease, but it's what we've been seeing in sheep that causes the pandemic in wild sheep is what we call a polymicrobial disease. And it, uh, it has several bacteria that come together and they cause bronchial pneumonia. That's how the sheep die. Gotcha. So do you want to get into the history of it a little bit? Because, uh, yeah. And so humans, you know, we spread it through airplanes going across continents um, within days. And what happened with our pandemic was it originated in domestic sheep in Europe and Eurasia. So they were brought over to the New World um, in the late 1800s on a ship. And the pathogens were on in the throat of the sheep. And then domestic sheep by the millions were, were grazed across the U.S. and eventually found their way into the Intermountain West in the Rockies, in the Sierras. And there was very few mountain ranges that they didn't graze in. And they would graze to the very top of the mountain, um, you know, bands of thousands of domestic sheep. So that's where the interaction occurred 
Um, and, and by the 1950s, with all these wild, uh, wild sheep, domestic sheep interacting, we went from a million sheep during the Lewis and Clark days to less than 30,000 um, when the dust cleared. So that was a huge impact. I mean, we lost 95% of our wild sheep populations. And yes, some of them were killed by bullets, by mining, uh, people exploring, um, people homesteading, but majority of them were killed by pathogens. Interesting. So um, when would you say that, like by what time period were they pretty much wiped out, that we had lost almost 95%? Probably, it was, it was the 1950s. We really, we used 1960 as kind of a, uh, a benchmark year where we probably hit the lowest of lowest. And, and that was 30,000 wild sheep. That was combined desert and Rocky Mountain Bighorn and California Bighorn. Gotcha. And yeah. what's interesting to me, um, and I had not, never really heard it put this way, I guess I knew that Bighorn sheep were social, but I had never really thought of it like that. They're extremely social animals, so that's what was leading to this disease getting spread. Yeah, they, they, they have no ill will to domestic sheep. They interact, they, they rose, uh, you know, uh, will, uh, Eat, eat and feed and bed next to each other. In fact, they can produce viable offspring. And then there's been several pictures from the good old days back in the early 1900s where you can see the result of a, of a wild ram breeding a domestic sheep ewe. So they're, they really are kissing cousins, if you will, genetically. And um, they, they won't, uh, mind at all to socialize. They didn't know that there was pandemic going on. They didn't care. They, they were just out there living, mm -hmm. raising and eating, drinking. And, and so, uh, so really as managers, we started getting our act together to say, look, the habitat's in great shape. Can we restore these herds? And that's where, you know, Nevada had been kind of a lead in restoring bighorn sheep and we were as low as two to 3,000 with, with only those herds living in the extreme south end of the state in the Mojave Desert where it was too, too hot and dry for domestic sheep bands to graze. And so, so we, we, we got our populations up to 12,000, but um, we, we knew that this, this pandemic, uh, this polymicrobial disease was still on the landscape. And um, we, we, all of us managers may have gone a little bit too fast, you know, maybe coming out of social distancing too early. We started putting sheep back on a mountain that looked perfect. And we didn't think wild sheep would move more than 10 miles away from the home that we put them in, but they did. They, they love to go on walkabouts, just like us. We love to travel, we're dying to go to a national park or to go to see Europe or go down to Mexico, you know, uh, we're, we're a little, little crazy now, been cooped up for three and a half months. But so it was a little bit too early. We didn't know what we were into and we had reinfections with the domestic sheep and we had more die-offs in the seventies and eighties. 
and we didn't truly understand the distance that we needed, the, the amount of distance we needed between Bighorn and, and domestic. And when you say you stopped, um, maybe you jumped in too soon, you weren't letting them distance long enough. What is distancing in bighorn sheep look like? Is it just, what is that, <laughs> I guess? Right, we, there's no face masks. Yeah. Uh, there's there's right. no minimum 50, 50 sheep in a party. Stay six uh, feet away. Yeah, it's, it's really just um, having multiple valleys and ridges separating the domestic sheep where they graze and wild sheep. And I've always felt 20 to 50 miles, which is a large variation. Uh, but if you have a barrier like an interstate, a big river, um, you know, maybe 10 miles is enough. But if not, sheep will go across valleys and they'll go up and down mountain ranges. And, and so we just need to have a longer distance. And then we, we need to work just like with humans. We need to say, look, we're going to give you the opportunity to interact, but you've got to have these guidelines that, that will still prevent um, uh, transmission of, in our case, COVID-19, and their case, uh, what's called a mycoplasma ova pneumoniae. The key pathogen causes the pneumonia. So it's kind of a pseudobacteria, and there's several other bacteria. And so uh, one of the biggest issues that we have, that we had was the lack of testing. We didn't know what bugs or pathogens we were dealing with because um, we didn't have DNA fingerprinting of pathogens like we do today, which is how COVID-19 is being detected, is from its DNA in, in your nose. And so we do nasal swabs every time we capture wild sheep so we can detect mycoplasma. We didn't have those tests commercially available to us until, until about 2010. Wow. So we were kind of stabbing in the dark of knowing, you know, they look healthy, but could they be carriers? Interesting. So, um, so this is basically, it's a pneumonia. You had said that already, but just to clarify, it's basically a form of pneumonia in the sheep. Yep. So what happens um, is, you know, whether it's a virus or a bacteria, they normally are found in your nasal passages, uh, in your throat, um, and everything's fine. But then uh, the problem with the sheep is this mycoplasma takes down the defense that your trachea has, your, your, your windpipe, from preventing germs to getting, getting down into your lungs. The mycoplasma destroys your natural defense mechanism in the sheep and allows for the germs and the bacteria and the viruses to go into your lungs. And then they, they wage a war with your lungs and it eventually causes pneumonia. And, and the animal dies of drowning in their own um, uh, moisture and, and fluid in their, in their lungs. And wow. they lose capacity to, they can't run, you know, they can walk. But if they were to run away from a predator, they don't have the lung capacity because it's been destroyed by the, by the, by your immune system trying to fight off um, the, the pathogens. Exactly. Well, I actually want to take a break there because you talked about in 2010, 
um, we're going to see the turning point when testing was available. So I want to get into that right after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we're joined by Bighorn Sheep Staff Specialist Mike Cox, and we're talking about this pneumonia in bighorn sheep, which weirdly has so many similarities to COVID in humans. And right before the break, you were explaining that um, that you guys started moving sheep, transplant, doing transplant projects, maybe a little bit too soon. And that was about the 90s and 80s. And it was before you had any testing. Yep. It was before we had perfected any testing. Uh, to detect the the pathogens that cause the problem. Exactly. And then um, what's crazy, and Keller, you had mentioned it during the break, is the amount of years before you actually had testing. So you guys were stabbing in the dark for a long time. And then um, when was it that you guys finally found a way to test the sheep? You know, it was about 2010, 2011. We actually got the DNA fingerprinting of, of pathogens that was commercially available to wild sheep managers and wildlife veterinarians. That's crazy. I was saying that, you know, as I read the article, it said, you know, starting to restore big on sheep herds in the 1970s, but then it wasn't even until 2010 to get any sort of a test. It took 40 years to create just the test. And COVID-19 going on, it, it, it's like seems like it's going to take forever and we're talking about having a test in like a matter of months you know but for sheep it took 40 years that's mind-blowing we didn't have all hands on deck and the money that is being put in the COVID-19 which which makes sense yep exactly very yeah, and then I was saying that I remember in 2010 when the testing started to ramp up and we were able to get those that you know, it, everything came, the brakes were put on, you know, we started testing the trap and transplant, the disease sampling started to be implemented and it, um, it did add some complexity to the whole thing. Yeah, we quit. We pretty much shelved our translocation efforts. We were going really fast and hard and furious and about 2010 was our last big year. And then after the testing came available, we built a schedule to pretty much sample every bighorn herd in the state. So if we knew they weren't exposed or not, and then we would only use clean herds, herds that had not been exposed uh, for source stock. I was gonna ask, so, um, between the 70s and then when you actually got the testing, I guess, how much did that testing make an impact and a difference once that was available to you? Well, we were, you know, many of us throughout the West, whether you were a wild sheep manager in Montana or Arizona, 
you were blindly choosing a herd to use as source stock and you didn't know if they had been exposed and we're going to get into a very thematic carriers in humans with COVID. The same thing was going on with sheep. You couldn't tell a lot of times if they had this mycoplasma over pneumonia, the, the key pathogen that caused the uh, bronchial pneumonia. And so sometimes they would move sheep that could cause uh, the pneumonia to be spread. And they didn't know until they moved the sheep. So that's why all of us kind of put the brakes on around 2010 and said, now we have a DNA fingerprinting test of the pathogens. And now let's, let's make informed decisions. So uh, that was critical. Um, and then we, we have further learned about herd immunity, um, chronic shedders, and um, one of, the, one of the keys that we learned just a few years ago is, and we had this question just like, just like us, is what about a new strain of COVID? You know, what, if, what about a new strain of mycoplasma in the wild sheep? Will, will you being exposed to, a, to one strain give you immunity to a new one? And we found out that in the wild sheep world, it doesn't. Wow. So you, when you said, um, so to a herd. Oh, say that one more time. You froze up. Yeah. So, um, just because a wild sheep herd is exposed to the, the pathogens, a certain strain of the pathogens does not give a herd immunity forever. If a new strain is, is exposed to that herd, then they can have another huge die off. And pneumonia then. Wow. And then what was it, herd immunity? What does that mean exactly? It basically says, look, um, because they're social, so whether it's during the nursery groups and the lambs are being raised, they all, all the ewes get together and hang out and have, um, and share responsibilities of keeping track of the lambs, uh, or the rams are socializing all summer, um, that they're eventually going to expose everyone in the herd to the pathogen. And then once that happens, some will die, but those that live uh, will typically get immunity, but it's only for that particular strain. So the herd will have immunity, but it may take a decade because there's all kinds of suburbs scattered all over the mountain range. And then it's only for that strain. Correct, only for that strain. Gotcha. Right, and then the, the real problem with herd immunity in bighorn sheep is there's only so many bighorn sheep. Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've got herds that, you know, we're trying to grow, but if that disease event kills them from 150 to 10, then, you know, some mountain lions can kill them and maybe a severe winter, and they could blink out. So that, that's the problem is, yeah, you've got herd immunity with maybe the 10 remaining, but now they've, they're struggling to build back up again. Yeah, because then your genetic diversity is gone. That, that certainly is impacting. So, right. and, and, and then, the, you know, one of the biggest ones 
that we're, we're faced with is these shedders, uh, we, chronic shedders, we call them super shedders. They, for whatever reason, continue to have the pathogen active in their immune system. But they don't just, like the rest of them, 95% of them, their immune system kicks in, builds the antibody stage. But there's, there's one or 2% of them that will stay active. They look healthy. They have big body mass. They don't cough. They don't sneeze. But they can shed or give the pathogen to others. Wow. So um, they're completely okay, but they're yep. spreading it like crazy. Yes. Wow. And we're, we're trying we're trying to recover herds from these, these pneumonia events, but we have to test everybody in order to find who is still shedding the pathogens, shedding the disease. And then we will remove that animal. We might, you know, take it to a facility where they'll, they'll do research on it, but many times we'll have to lethally remove it in hopes that we'll allow that herd to grow from 10 to, hundred again. So where are we now? Because this all sounds so scary and it has been something you guys have been dealing with for a long time, but we also have had successes. Like our population is, um, where are our sheep numbers right now? We've talked about this before. Yeah, so um, we probably thought during the Lewis and Clark days, late 1800s, we had 30 to 50,000. Bighorn in Nevada. We got as low as two to 3,000 in 1960. And now we're excited to be over 12,000. And so we've had our successes and we're very happy. And so now really the key for me is working with our uh, domestic sheep operators, our wool growers in Nevada. And so we've kind of developed our own social distancing plan. And I call it the sheep separation strategy. And I've met with the wool growers and they are willing to sit down and uh, share the information of where their domestic sheep graze on a monthly basis. We'll tell them where the nearest wild sheep herd is. Uh, we'll try to put some more GPS collars on those sheep so we can kind of get a better handle on uh, what's going on and um, it's a passion of theirs and so is wild sheep is a passion of ours so we really feel that if we can communicate with the wool growers and they know um, that they can tell us when they when they lose some sheep uh, whether they're trailing from winter to summer range or a big thunderstorm you know blows up their band of sheep and now they've lost a couple that we'll try to work together and uh, try to prevent interaction in the future. And um, that is our social distancing in the wild sheep world. So it literally does come down to social distancing for this. That's so crazy and interesting to me. You were ahead of this whole social yeah, distancing concept. Yeah, because it is the only option right now. We don't have a bunch of money being poured into finding a vaccine. Mm -hmm. We could vaccine, vaccinate the sheep, or almost impossible, you never can capture them all. 
and we cost just too much. So this is, uh, this is our best option, is social distancing. And even we need to social distance some wild herds of bighorn because we have clean herds and we have exposed wild herds. So we, want, we don't want them to interact. So we need to have social distancing even within the wild sheep world. Exactly. Well, is it looking, um, we're just, we're almost out of time here, but is it looking hopeful for the future? It sounds like you guys are all on the same page and working together. So it's sounding like it is. I'm really excited. Um, we're going to have our field biologists meet, meeting periodically with wool growers. And, and I think they're, they're, they, we both want the best for each other. And so uh, I, I'm feeling positive about it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us. This was so interesting. I feel like we could have gone even longer and I wish our internet, I wish a lot of things. I wish we had more time and I wish we had better internet. This is such a cool topic. So we may need to get you back on here as things move forward. Thanks for having me. Of course. So that does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Thank you everyone for listening. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.